A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. Hi and welcome to The Reading Room. I'm Melanie Walker. Today, we're not going to be talking about some fictional aspect of a country. We're going to be talking about something which is very close to the hearts of people who live in our great country of South Africa. But we're not going into the romantic side of thinking about where did South Africa come from and the landlords with their gold mines and the huge houses up on Parktown Ridge or the diamond mining happening in the big hole in Kimberley. Yeah, sure, it's about mining, but it's not about those kind of stories. It's about where did it start, what has happened, and where is it going? It's a very sad story of how people's greed can actually take something which was keeping a country going and change it for the worst. But is there still hope at the end of the tunnel? Has the giant actually fallen? Well, to find out more, we've asked Dr. Ian Robinson the author of The Giant Has Fallen, to come and chat to us today. Today we're going on to something a little bit more serious and differently cerebral to what you might have heard on The Reading Room before. Since South Africa changed, should we say, leadership, ownership, a lot of different things changed ownership, let's put it that way, back in 1994 – what has that been actually happening here in South Africa? We've seen a lot of things happening that are not particularly useful to a lot of people, a lot of complaining, a lot of parastatals and NGOs and quangos and things falling down heavily. But one of the backbones of South Africa has always been mining. So what is happening in the world of mining? Is it all about people disinvesting, about people taking their money out of the country, about the land being raped, about infighting. Well, to tell us a little bit more about whether mining has been coming down in the world, if the giant has fallen, we have Dr. Ian Robinson, who has written the book, Fall of a Giant. Thanks for joining us in the reading room. Thanks for having me. Okay, first of all, a bit, yeah. a bit about yourself. What is your background? I was a geologist. I worked on the South African gold mines at Harder uh, Beestfontein, Stillfontein, and then Allen Ridge in the Free State. And then I got a job at JCI, which was a major mining house. I worked for JCI for about 13 years. I then went to the Minerals Bureau, a government uh, organization, for a couple of years and subsequently to Rant Mines, another mining house. Uh, Rant Mines was uh, part of the Barlow's organization and it was uh, closed down by, by Barlow's. So I needed to find a new 
career, which uh, I started as a mining journalist contributing to uh, the Business Times. Then I went to, uh, after about a year, to uh, Martin Kremer's Engineering News. I was the first mining editor, or the first editor of Mining Weekly, and subsequently went to, uh, after four years, SA Mining as editor, and I worked there for about 10 years until retiring. And then uh, in my retirement, I felt I needed a new challenge. So I commenced a PhD at WITS on the evolution of the South African mining industry since 1980. When I'd completed that in 2012, I felt a little bit frustrated because I think uh, university theses are often just placed on on a shelf and gather dust. Mm. Uh, so I decided to convert that into a, a book. And that's basically my story. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going, thinking back to the days of, I used to go and play in town at um, Anglo American. Of course, they were part of like the mining thing with um, Clem Sunter with his high road, low road thesis. We, yeah. we, we say yeah. that South Africa has taken the high road. Would you say that that is actually true of the mining industry as a whole, especially with the big five no longer being the big five? Well, I, I think the mining, South African mining industry has disintegrated. I'm actually a great uh, fan of the, the mining house system. Uh, the mining house system played such a huge role in the development of South Africa, development of the South African economy. It was a very efficient system. It was certainly achieved at a huge human cost. Migrant labor, racialism, neglect of the environment, etc. So I think once the ANC came to power, there was no way that they could accept continuation of the white-owned mining houses mm. without making drastic changes. Yes, it wasn't actually feasible in its current form at the time. It wasn't, and uh, not only that, I think there were two factors which spelt the end of the the mining houses. Mm -hmm. Globalization and politicization. It was actually globalization which had the first effect because uh, investors, particularly the institutions in London, there was a guy called Julius Baring who was one of the, the main people involved in placing pressure on the South African mining houses, complaining that they actually represented a value trap, that the their share value didn't reflect the value of their underlying assets. Mm -hmm. This uh, pressure and the lack of opportunities in South Africa because the gold mines were becoming deeper all the time with lower grades, so there were less opportunities in South Africa for the mining houses. Mm. And I think some of the people were very ambitious. I certainly wouldn't exclude personal reasons, looking after themselves, their personal ambitions. But the first South African mining house which left our shores was uh, Gencore, which had... Uh, acquired 
the Dutch-based bulletin, which was very involved in aluminium, they needed to find a source of alumina, which is the starting material for aluminium smelting. Mm. Because uh, Gencore had decided to build a massive new smelter, aluminium smelter, at Richards Bay, and they needed to have the feedstock. And Billiton produced alumina, the feedstock for the aluminium smelter, and they decided they wanted to buy Billiton, which was owned by Shell. They had, for a period, shown an interest in coal, but it wasn't really part of their core business, so they mm. decided to, they were quite happy to sell it. In order to purchase, to pay for a bulletin, uh, they needed to go offshore, and they were given permission to go offshore without any conditions. Subsequently, Anglo-American had actually said Julian Ogilvy Thompson had actually stated in the chairman's report that Anglo-American was a mining house rooted in South Africa. Those were his words, mm -hmm. rooted in South Africa. Three years afterwards, they also... Upsticked. Upsticked and went to, went mm -hmm. to London. We don't know the background. I would imagine that the ANC had probably placed pressure on them that, you know, as I said, the ANC couldn't permit the South African mining industry to be dominated by white-owned mm. mining houses mm. without making major changes. So one doesn't know what went on behind the scenes, but the fact is that um, they were allowed to go to London as far as we know, there were no conditions. I believe that these offshore listings have been disastrous for South Africa. Mm. I don't think that they should have been allowed to leave because uh, the mining house system, it, Keep, wasn't, it, was, control, it, yeah. it wasn't confined to mining, just to digging mm. stuff out of the ground. The Exchange controls, which had been applied off to Shoffville, were actually very beneficial for the South African economy mm. because they forced the mining houses to invest the money they earned from gold, and they earned so much from their, their gold mining operations. They were forced to invest in other projects in South Africa. Mm. Because, of course, when we think about mining in South Africa, immediately everybody's minds firstly go to gold, yeah. to diamonds, and then yeah. to platinum, That's and then, right. of course, coal. Yeah. But, I mean, there's so many other things that are happening as well that people don't think about the smaller things. Obviously, when the bad news comes through about a mine collapsing on illegal miners yeah. somewhere in, yeah. in South Africa, then obviously people start knowing more about it. But 
even the whole thing that happened down where they wanted to go fracking in the Karoo. Yeah. I mean, that's also part of the whole mining thing. And we're sitting here and thinking, well, are there still any checks and balances being put in place, not just by the government, but by anybody who's involved in actual mining? Are the right environmental studies being done before people are saying willy-nilly, okay, absolutely, because we're quite used to wherever it is in Africa – Overseas, it doesn't matter which country it is, whether it be Britain, America, wherever, Belgium, China, they're all coming here and basically pillaging the whole of Africa. So it's not just something which is happening in South Africa. It's happening throughout. I mean, I know the mining in Malawi and up in Uganda and places like that is also running rampant without uh, any uh, checks and balances. Absolutely. And uh, Impaloma Highfelt is an environmental disaster. I mean, mm. there's so much destruction of the the water is so polluted mm. the agricultural land has been polluted the air is so toxic and yet this is happening despite so-called legislation mm. which isn't really being applied environmental in legislation is not actually being applied that the priority is always being given to mining. Mm. But the, is this then the fault of the people who have taken over the mining houses, and I use the um, deal tierkins as I like to call them on either side of that, or is it part of the government not actually enforcing the legislation that should be looking after the environment? It's, that certainly is the case, that the government is not enforcing the environment, mm. environmental legislation that they are more concerned with granting mining licenses. One doesn't know the, the full story, but probably to their friends. There's so many small companies involved in mining now, mm. in mining coal, and mining manganese. Mm. And you know, just to give you an idea, in um, the year 2000, there were three manganese mines in South Africa all three of them owned by companies listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. There are now, I believe, about 22. None of the newcomers are listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. We don't know who they are, but they've been granted licenses. Mm. And they're not doing environmental impact studies either. Uh, probably not. No. Probably not. So you know, mining has... Uh, been prioritized at the cost of the environment. Well, because, of course, mining is a lot more kind of um, yeah. money in your pocket than, than the environment a does. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if agricultural land is destroyed in, in Pimalanga, Highfelt, it'll be, it doesn't have an immediate impact. Mm. Whereas starting a new coal mine, you know, it's a big problem. Yeah. It, 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 provides revenue very, very quickly. So back in the days when the five mining houses were still running things, yeah. okay, they obviously did keep within the letter of the law, or did they not? Um, because we still hear about no. the skullduggery that was going on behind the scenes a lot of the time. I, I think um, they were much more transparent. Mm -hmm. They were listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and all their subsidiary companies were listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. 
So they were obliged to produce company reports, mm. have annual general meetings. There was scrutiny by announcing journalists. Mm. So there was far more control. I think as far as their own contribution to the environment is concerned, that they didn't really plan for the future. You know, we hear about this acid mine drainage leaking out in, in the CBD. I don't think it started yet, but there were fears that that would happen. Mm. They have also been responsible for the neglect of the environment. They were negligent, very negligent as far as health and safety on the mines was concerned. Mm. Very poor record of uh, safety. Silicosis is a very interesting story. They knew what silicosis was at a very early stage. They knew what caused it. They knew what measures they needed to prevent it. But uh, they didn't apply the, these measures properly because they were more interested in production. Mm. And by applying these measures properly, it would have delayed production. Very interesting book, which I haven't read, but in the early days, the rock dwellers were, came out from Cornwall. Mm -hmm. And these guys had a, a very brief life. About seven years, after about seven years, they developed silicosis. A lot of them went back to Cornwall to die. There's a, a cemetery, Red Roof in Cornwall. Mm -hmm. You probably know Red Roof, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I love Cornwall. It's a wonderful place. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently there are a lot of these rock drillers, Cornish rock drillers, are buried there. So this... Uh, Silicosis, they made very little progress mm. in about a century. And, you know, they, that's actually quite criminal the way they behaved. Mm. Both the environmental record and health and safety uh, management of the, the mining houses was shameful. Mm. Subpar. Subpar. <laughs> yeah. But... There was this transparency, mm. which we don't have now. Yeah. So who's actually basically running things at the moment? I mean, that, that's the one thing we, we, we used to think, okay, fine, we know that Amplats are with platinum mines and we've got um, Anglo Gold who is looking after what certain mines, et cetera, et cetera. Who are the people who are actually kind of trying to at least keep the thing under control? The mining industry is – has disintegrated. Mm. So we have quite a, a mix. We still have some very powerful foreign-based companies like Anglo-American, Anglo-American now said listed in London, mm. which have important projects in South Africa, like Anglo-Platinum, Kumba, Venetia Diamonds. Mm. We have... Some still a couple of mining houses. We have uh, 
what used to be Anglo Val, which is now ARM Patrice Motsepi. Mm. Some of our largest mining metallurgical companies have been taken over by foreign interests. And this um, I find quite disgraceful that sitting in London, Anglo-American say, proudly proclaim, we are a global mining company. Mm. We must dispose of all our industrial assets in South Africa. They had spent decades building up world-class industrial projects in South Africa related to the mining industry. The crown jewel, high-felt steel and vanadium, mm. massive project employing about 3,000 people near Wittbank. Who do they sell it to? They sell it to Roman Abramovich, mm. a Russian oligarch with a very dubious reputation, owner of Chelsea Football Club. Mm. After seven years, it's in business rescue. Mm. There are some very dedicated people who are trying to keep it going in some form. So the thing which built South Africa, because, I mean, you can't think about, you know, Johannesburg wouldn't be here if it wasn't for gold. Okay. Absolutely. Kimberley, yeah. other towns, none of that would be there if it wasn't for the mining interests. So yeah. even if you're a bleeding heart liberal, you have to understand that somewhere the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yes, it is It is a hard pull to swallow a lot of the time when you have these people who are now going out and we, we could get into all the mining things which and mentioned the Karoo but there's also mining that they're trying to do on the west coast in a wetland area which is actually a protected area Correct. there's nobody yeah. turning around and saying you can't mine there this is a protected area sorry that's what it means but they're saying oh no of course you can go because there's money involved Yeah. but none of these things in South Africa would be here if it hadn't been for the fact that everybody else came from overseas and started realizing how rich this this country was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But everything is imploding. So it doesn't matter how much wealth we have. The wealth is not getting to the people who matter, number one. Okay. And and there's nothing keeping the entire structure afloat, if we want to put it like that. I'm thinking now of oil drilling, but that's not the same thing. There's nothing holding it up. So where to from here? I mean, how is there going to be any way of actually saving this giant from falling over completely? Yeah. We do have, still have enormous resources. Running out of gold, although we're not actually running out of gold because there's still huge resources, but they are deep. Uh, there was a... A massive drilling program in the 1980s in the Northern Free State, which effectively discovered a new gold field. Mm. And that's only been mined on its fridges by the target mine. So we've still got vast resources of platinum and the ferroalloy metals, chrome and manganese. Mm. Uh, what is particularly sad is that we had a flourishing ferro-alloy industry, and this is another issue which I feel very strongly about. We were smelting our, our chrome and manganese to ferro-alloys. You need to actually produce ferro-alloys before you can introduce those elements into to steel. Mm. You can't just 
put in the, the raw material. Sam Ancor, a proud South African company with origins going back to 1926. It was owned by Anglo-American and Gencor, which subsequently became Billiton. They decide to sell Sam Ancor. Who do they sell to? They sell to a company called Kermas, headed by Danko Konkar, the richest Croatian in the world, with links to Kazakhstan, with links to a company, ENCR, which is, uh, has criminal links. I mm. uh, don't know whether you've heard or, or read of the book Kleptopia. It's, it's well described in this book. Mm. And uh, in contrast to when it was South African owned and had regular AGMs and there were very open to visits by journalists and analysts, no, nothing, ab absolutely inaccessible, absolutely inaccessible. Mm. Now, in 2019, uh, this very militant trade union, AMCU, instituted a case against Sam Ancor, complaining that they weren't looking after minority interests. And the whistleblower was a guy called Miodrag Khan, mm. K-O-N. And uh, he described the corruption in the, in the organization. Mm. So, you know, how could Anglo-American sitting in London have sold our South African prime assets to East European mm. Russian but why? oligarchs? Why? Not just how? Why would they have why? done that? I mean, why were they – these uh, transactions were okayed by the competition tribunal. Mm. So I, I'm a great believer, and uh, in my book I quoted Moletsi Mbeki, uh, who I, I, I interviewed when I was doing my thesis, mm. Tabo Mbeki's brother, and how important it is for a country to be in control of its own assets. Mm. We have sold so many of our prime assets to foreigners. If you have a company based in London, Anglo-American, I have great respect for the standards they set in their mining operations. Mm. But the point is... They should have kept it. You know, they are cherry-picking what they are prepared to invest in in South Africa, mm. whereas when they were based in Johannesburg... They would tackle everything. They wouldn't just tackle mining operations. They would tackle beneficiation projects. Mm. They would tackle industrial projects. So as much as we should appreciate Anglo-Americans' operations in South Africa, the London-based Anglo-American is They're not… selling us out. It's not a substitute mm. for Being the… On the South African, Anglo-American, mm. our steel industry, 
is now in the hands of ArcelorMittal, owned by Indian, mm -hmm. living in London. Apparently, he spent more on his daughter's wedding in London than he has in rehabilitating the polluted area around Fonda Bale operation mm. known as Steel Valley. Mm. The South African steel industry is operating very old obsolete plants. The most modern Soldano, which I visited, has been closed. Mm. Then we have Columbus Steel, Columbus Stainless Steel, owned by a Spanish company now. I don't know much about them. I think they're probably quite efficient. Mm. But the fact is that we don't know what's actually going on there. We don't know whether they are producing grades for suitable for South African industry or whether they are mainly concerned with their international interests. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, being sold out. Well, is there any hope for the future? I mean, how do we get the, the, the mines back into South African hands? I mean, is there any way of doing it or are we just going to be completely run over by oligarchs? And as long as we have these political connections, example, manganese, the largest manganese producer of manganese ore is United Kalahari Manganese. Mm -hmm. It is the minority owner is a Russian oligarch, Vic Solberg. He's only the minority owner, apparently, because if he was the majority owner, he would be subjected to U.S. sanctions. They happen to be the largest donor to the ANC. And that's what it boils down to, politics. Politics, yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, I think there is hope. Um, no, we still have good South African-based companies like Impala Platinum. Mm. It's told that the, the new CEO of Anglo is giving more independence to the South African operations. And so we have these huge resources. And uh, and hopefully we can claw our yeah, way back to yeah, being big again. Yeah. You know, uh, getting back to ferrochrome, uh, Kermas eventually sold out to a Chinese interests. So... You know, they are a major competitor mm. from a South African company giving it away to the Chinese. It, it's crazy. I suppose it only makes economic sense to the politicians and not actually to the people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so then, you know, another major difference between then in the, in the mining house days and now, of course, is the infrastructure that they had an infrastructure which was – being kept up. First class. Mm. No problems with power. Rail system functioning properly. Yeah. So uh, we need to fix our infrastructure, and that will certainly go a long way to, well, to I mean, improving the situation. The backbone yeah. of South Africa, the backbone yeah. of, yeah. of the money that came in and still keeps it going, and yeah. it's just leaking out flat out by yeah. the sounds of things. Yeah. So hopefully somebody sees some good sense at some stage and yeah. turns around and says, okay, enough is enough. We need to get yeah. this back again. Well, I, I think, you know, 
reading the business day yesterday, the importance of the mining industry to South Africa, Anglo-Platinum earnings for the last six months apparently have halved. Mm. And this has a massive effect on, on the tax base. Mm. So the impact of the South African mining industry, both on our economy and socially, you know, these horror stories about illegal mining, mm. recent one at Angelo, Angelo um, settlement near Boxburg, it just highlights how important the mining industry is to this country. Mm. Well, if people want to find out more about what is actually going on behind the scenes? Obviously, they can they can read your book. Where would they find the book? Where can we get hold of it from? It's been published by the SA Institute of Mining Metallurgy, mm -hmm. and I, I'm very grateful to them. Uh, I think it was very appropriate. It's available through them, and just uh, contacting the SA Institute of Mining Metallurgy, which is in Rosebank. That's mm -hmm. S-A-I-M-M. -S yeah. yeah, yeah, Southern African Institute of mm. Mining Metallurgy. Yeah. So you just Google that and you'll be able to find the book. Well, I mean, it's, it's actually quite fascinating hearing about the behind the scenes because it's not something that really has much of an impact on the general human being in South Africa. It's not something that we really think about, but it is something we should all be thinking about and should be a little bit more aware of what's really happening yeah i i think that mining is so much part of south africa's dna mm. and uh, older people like myself who remember the the six mining houses the offices of the six mining houses in the johannesburg cbd and now they either derelict or they occupied by government departments and the string of prosperous gold mining towns stretching from a Vanda in the east to Clarkstorp in the west. They're all not ghost towns. They're now ghost towns mm. and they turf wars for illegal miners. Mm. The signs are, are quite evident, but people do tend to get on with their own lives and if they're not affected directly by something, then they don't really Absolutely. Notice, notice what's going on. I mean, people all have to think of their own activities and what mm. they're going to do the next day, etc. Yeah. Get on board with it, people. Yeah. Be informed. This is the only way that our country can actually move forwards, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree that if you don't know what's going on, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Well, I think that is important. And, you know, without learning the lessons, you can't change and you don't know what route to follow. Mm. And if you don't write history down, then it disappears. One won't learn from it. So we we need to to learn from it. And I think there are indications that you know the, the government is starting to to realise just how critical the mining industry is to mm. the country. I absolutely agree.
All right. For those of you who want to find out more, don't forget that you can get a hold of that book, S-A-I-M-M. Just Google it. And uh, Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for coming and sharing this with us. I think that a lot of people might get a, a fairly unpleasant surprise not knowing what was being going on and who, <laughs> where the wealth is now concentrated in the hands of. But um, we wish you all the best with your book and hopefully we'll find some more coming out with good news. No, thanks very much, Melanie. So any of you who are looking for the book, don't forget, of course, get along to saimm.co.za and you can just have a look there and check it out and go and buy one. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.